0: Welcome to Over the Rainbow, the podcast all about colour. My name is Helen Disley, and I'll be chatting today with Hugh Owens and Steve Westland.
1: So, this week we're going to talk about colour blindness. Um, It's not the right term to use, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts. Um, The correct term is colour deficiency, because people who are generally spoken of as being colour blind can actually see colour. They just have uh, difficulty discriminating between colours that other people might easily be, be able to tell apart. So why don't you Hugh tell us about the um, the sort of the physiological basis of of colour deficiency? I mean we I know we've spoken previously about The fact that humans are trichromats with sort of long, medium, and short wavelength vision. So, how does that relate to kind of deficient people?
2: Well, I think a million years ago, when when we first started talking about these sorts of things at Keele, I always remember John Dalton being mentioned and And John Dalton's eyes. Um, And I think we can go back there. John Dalton was a, a very famous chemist that people probably know well. Um, and perhaps we can go back to the, the 1790s when he gave a, a talk about colour blindness, I guess it was called at the time. I think there was a, a Scottish physicist who first coined that, that phrase, Sir David Brewster, Um but we don't use that anymore. You, you tend to see people talking about defective colour vision or colour vision deficiency. Those seem to be more politically correct now. Um, so John, he, gave,
1: he gave that talk in Manchester.
2: He did. Uh, he it did. Wasn't,
1: wasn't it something like the Manchester Philosophical Co- Society? or Literary, literary, yeah. L- literary and Society. The Philosophical Society of Manchester. Yeah, yeah. Of course, I, I wasn't there. I missed it. <laughs> but um, I, I did hear all about it.
2: Well, I, I could I could understand that, yes. but he was he was relatively young then. You know, he was about twenty eight, wasn't he? Uh, mm. John Dalton at the time, mm. and he he gave this paper. I don't know if if you uh, if you could remember, it was something like extraordinary facts relating to the vision of colours, with observations of Mister John Dalton. Something like that. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> I wish we, I wish we could call our papers things like that. Now, that that would be really, really interesting. Yeah, I, I've published a lot of papers. None of
1: them have the word "extraordinary" in it <laughs> I, in the title. I wish, I wish they did. It'd be great for wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, and it's interesting because at the time he he called his own vision anomalous vision, but mm. we've got quite a a specific definition for when we talk about anomalous vision especially associated Mm. with with color vision
1: Mm. yeah so so, uh, uh, it's my understanding of it Hugh is that it's it's not so much that he was the first person necessarily to discover this problem of vision but he was certainly the first person I think to so systematically study it and, and report it wasn't he I mean he was the first person to do such a detailed study of this phenomenon?
2: I think, yeah, he identified a problem with his own vision. Mm. And essentially, um, this gained some ground in terms of scientific discussion. So that by the 1820s, people were talking about these colour deficiencies as Daltonism. Mm. So that he was already sort of associated... With that, and, and he knew that his vision was very different from what other people um, would tell him that they were experiencing about the world.
1: He also noticed it was mainly men,
2: and he noticed it tended to run in families. and um, I think it was interesting that he left his eyes to medical science didn't he he, he was all, so all three of them yes <laughs> <laughs> he was fascinated yeah he was fascinated he, he, with it wasn't
1: he he thought he he was convinced that his eyes contained a colored filter and that Oh was the really common. so he left his eyes and he gave instructions that they should be cut up so on his death one of his eyes was cut up and guess what nothing extraordinary was found. <laughs> no coloured filter, nothing that could be observed, which was a, a great mystery at the time. And they actually placed the remaining eye between two glass plates. And there it remained until
0: nineteen ninety five. In in its entirety, how how squished.
1: Or squished sliced. Presumably sliced. Squished. squished. Yeah, squished. Yeah. Yeah. It remained till nineteen ninety five. When it was studied and with the latest um, technology and the results were reported at Manchester, I I think at a a vision conference that took place in Manchester. Um, And of course, by then, many years had passed and we know now the basis of this problem, which is essentially that people either are usually missing one of the cone classes. So they'd be dichromats. Or they might still have three, but one of them is very close in spectral sensitivity to one of the other ones. A shifted wavelength sensitivity. And we say those people are anomalous trichromats. So anomalous trichromats and dichromats... Are people who have less good?
2: Color. Yeah, I think. Yeah, before we start to get into it, perhaps we should keep what Dalton was as a surprise for a little bit later. Yeah, I, I've forgotten. Uh, I actually didn't. Yeah, I and, know what it is. I, 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 I
1: In fact, I've mentioned it in lectures, <laughs> but at the moment it's slipped my. So it will be a. It will be a surprise. Oh, will well. it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So We'll 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 leave that. Yeah. But that's, that's what was revealed in Manchester in
2: 1995. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think the eyes were kept in one of the Manchester museums for a long time. I think mm. science and industry <laughs> has, has the eyes still there. Um, I suppose we should take a step back, though, really. Because even back then, at that time, there was some discussion about how we how we analysed the world around us, and then how we further processed it in our our minds. So probably we should talk a little bit about normal trichromatic or three-sensor vision, three-colour vision first, and then move on to what happens when things perhaps don't go as planned. So I suppose we've mentioned before, and I think many of the listeners know that It's generally accepted that most humans have three color-sensitive cells, and we call these cone cells, and we find these on the the back of our eye, on the, the retina at the back of our eye. And these three cells basically differ in how they react to certain bands in the electromagnetic spectrum that we could sense. So, certain sorts of light. And we know that these have, we, we call these um, a- according to where they show their peak sensitivity within the, the wavelength bands. So, they're, they're quite broadband, that's the first thing to say. Just because we have something that responds optimally in perhaps the long wavelengths doesn't mean that it won't respond to light in the medium or short wavelength areas, so they 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 cover the whole spectrum, and they'll react in some way to a signal within that that whole range. So we usually call them L for long wavelength, and um, there's a g- bit of Greek associated. With the photopigment that is sensitive in that that longer wavelength, so this this photopsin that we have. So my Greek's very rough, Steve. I know your Greek's much better than mine. To be honest, I thought you'd been speaking Greek for the last five minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I won't embarrass you with my uh, exceptional Greek at But I think I
2: think so. For the long wavelength photopigment, it comes from. Uh, the greek for red a uh, and then labe for the seeking red seeking i think is is where that comes from and then we've got chlorolabe for the green cones and cyanolabe for the blue cones so they all have these these different photopigments that respond optimally in different parts of the, the wavelength range that we're sensitive to. So I guess that's the very, very basic introduction to the the, the three cones. Then you have to start to, s- to think a little bit about how people perceived uh, what was going on in our visual systems and that there were sort of two Camps of thought weren 't there, so we 've got this idea of a, a trichromatic theory or a a three sensor theory um, that means that they knew that we had red, green, and blue sensitive or long medium and short wavelength sensitive cone groups, and they analyzed the world based on the 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 uh, cone responses to red green and blue light and some magic happens further on back in your in your brain so this was a very simple idea that that somehow your brain put together just the responses of the red green and blue senses and there was helmholtz helmholtz young yeah and maxwell yeah uh, absolutely so it's a bit like um it's a bit like looking through coloured filters capturing those three coloured filters so perhaps your your uh, favourite chocolates might have nice coloured uh, wrappers on them and looking through the world through a red a green and a blue filter and then some magic happens in your brain and you put the world back together
1: one one thing <laughs> you, know, you, you and I always like to um, contradict each other, but w- one thing I'm not 100% happy with is is the idea of calling them red, green and blue. And I, I should say that I, I sometimes call them red, green and blue myself. And when I draw diagrams of these cone spectral sensitivities, I normally colour the L1 red and the M1 green and the short red the one blue because they are approximately... In, in those ranges um but the reason I, I don't like it is that it's it's strictly speaking if you look at the peak sensitivity of the long wavelength cone it's more in the sort of yellow green region than it is in the red region and but as you said they have quite broad sensitivity anyway and also there's this idea going around that we we see in terms of red green and blue which is also i think a, li- a little bit problematic but yeah it, it's a very very subtle point but it's just something that keeps me awake at the night the problem
2: with calling them red green and blue is there's a little bit you think that they're independent and they just respond to the red the mm-hmm. green and the blue and we know that that's not that that's mm-hmm. not true
1: so this is an this is a case where if this was a YouTube video and we had visuals, it would be interesting because if you look at the sensitivity of the L and M cones, they're really overlapping. In fact, I think their peak sensitivities are yeah, only about 30 nanometers apart. So it's not as if we, we yeah. look at single wavelength red light, single wavelength green, single wavelength blue. These cone responses are correlated. What that means is if the L-cone responds strongly, so does the M-cone. They're not independent um, channels, as it were. Which actually does relate a little bit in a very complicated way to the second thing I think Hugh was going to talk about, which is the second idea. We talked about Yeah,
2: And I mean, this is a much later idea, really, Um we, as we said before, we've got Young, Helmholtz, and Maxwell, and this this trichromatic theory, and you know you're you're capturing these these different signals, and they're being just processed in the brain later on. But other people came along and suggested that there was more to it than this. Um, so we've got people like um, Herring, for instance, who comes along and says, okay. That's fine, but how come we don't see red-greens or yellow-blues? How come people who are colour deficient confuse red and green and yellow and blue, for instance? And, and then even later than that, we've got things like hue cancellation experiments, so that we know there seems to be some sort of balance going on when we mix red and green together, we seem to get a neutral. And similarly, when we get a a yellow and blue mixture together, when you mix those, that seems to produce a neutral as well. So there seems to be this this opponent thing going on in terms of us doing a little bit more processing on the information on our eyes that's reaching our eyes. So that's that's quite an interesting idea. They're not saying that we don't make the photon captures in those senses, but they're saying that there's another level of processing that happens before, before everything gets transferred further back into the brain.
1: Now, Helen and I did the same degree um, in the 1980s. We were taught some of this stuff. How much of this... You remember Helen?
0: Not, not an awful lot it, true. It, 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 <laughs> I'm it, thinking, it I know, even the names like you know, Jung and Helmholtz, and that it rings a bell, but it's I've lost so much of it. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But but it's it, it's interesting in that they're, they're compatible theories, and I think people agree that there's these, these additional stages of visual processing that get more and more complicated as we go further down our, um, our cortical processing routes.
1: So I don't think we should go into this now, um, but just to mention that some people feel that one of the reasons why we have the sort of trichromatic activity, if you like, at the, at the sensor or receptor level, And then this sort of opponent processing based on four psychological primaries, red, yellow, green, and blue, in processing after that, is that the visual system does this in order to um, make signals that are less correlated than those ones we mentioned before, the the L and the M codes being correlated. This makes the visual system efficient. And, And curiously, I, I believe that that process is what results in hue, the the, the colour attribute, yeah. not hue, but <laughs> <the> celebrity, <laughs> and hue, um, being circular. So, you know, if you look at the spectrum, it's sort of a linear spectrum from red at one end to bluish purple at the other end. But our perception of hue is circular. It's all tied up with that, but it's it really is complicated to explain and it's not what we want to talk about today but it it, i think it's it's connected
2: what happens with people who do have color deficiencies and i think you mentioned it a little bit earlier steve but the most common situation is when either a, a photo pigment isn't present or a cone class isn't isn't present so that instead of having three sensors we now uh, trichromats, we're now dichromats, we've got two sensors. Now, if we're missing,
1: for example, a long wavelength or a medium wavelength sensor, remember they're quite close to each other in the spectrum, we'll have trouble discriminating in the red and green area of the spectrum. It's much less common to be, have a problem with your short wavelength or S-cone, but if you do have that, then you have more problem discriminating blues and yellows and that's why the term red green colour blindness gets thrown around um bear in mind the colour blindness is a misnomer and the red and green just tells you the colours that get confused but it's
0: not just the red and the green is it it's like reds oranges yellows greens and browns that can be affected Uh, because it's that whole range it it also doesn't yeah it
1: doesn't mean that they just can't tell between red and green light it's I'd say they have trouble discriminating in that range. Mm. So, for example, they might have trouble telling a, a, a yellowish green from a, a, more, a more greenish green, if that makes sense, that you and I might easily tell a difference between. Mm. Um, and and, and slightly, slightly more subtle, but still relatively serious, is this thing I mentioned about anomalous trichromats where you have all three but two of them are rather really very very similar so it's almost as as if you've only got two we we should in completeness mention that genetic based color deficiency um which we're talking about today i think um it's not the only source of color vision problems there's a whole load of Um, diseases like um, glaucoma and optic neuritis um, excessive alcohol consumption over a long period of time all sorts of things that can affect your optic nerves and can lead to these problems but what most people think of as colour blindness is this inherited um, condition that you inherit from your, your parents. It's Mainly affecting men, but not. We, I think we mentioned this before. It's sort of, is it something like eight percent? Eight percent of men. Point five percent of females. That sounds about right. Yeah, for you absolutely. Point five percent.
2: It is. It is. I think um, perhaps we should just try. Perhaps finish a little bit on the the physiology, and then um, then we'll have a bit of a bigger toolkit to talk talk about um the different types of color deficiency so you're quite right there's lots of things that affect color vision and i know um i've had questions from previous podcasts asking me well why do what what does change your color vision does does color vision change with age and that there are lots of lots of different reasons for your color vision uh, changing can be age uh, a certain yellowing of the the lens that we get macular pigmentation, which is like a a filter that we have to protect our eyes within within the eye itself uh illness diabetes mood tiredness um, medicines, your ethnic origins mm. all of these we know will affect will affect your color vision. But as Steve said, we're talking about very specific type of colour vision deficiency. So this is inherited, really, colour vision deficiency. And the most popular mm. type, as Steve <laughs> uh, alluded to there, is, is to be a dichromat. And there's, there's three main sorts of that, three main types. So we've got protonopes. And these are generally people who are missing the long-wavelength photopigment. Deuteranopes, and they're missing the middle-wavelength photopigment. And then tritanopes, and they're missing the the short-wavelength photopigment. So when there is a color deficiency, generally it's it's that we're missing one of these um, Mm. cell types. And there is another, another sort. Obviously, we can just have one of these senses, but that's incredibly rare. Uh, do you have you ever encountered somebody with just no? So yeah. you you would be a monochromat. Mm. You would be a monochromat then,
1: right? So whales are monochromats. Um, but but people who have literally got only one cone, they genuinely would see no color just shades of gray but those people are, are, are very rare and normally have other visual problems associated with it um, most of them i've heard are, are, are technically classed as being blind anyway mm. you know they've got very very yeah. limited vision so it's it's very 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 unusual to have to be a monochromat but they, they do exist. Yeah,
2: incredibly rare as you say and they have real problems with brightness, from what I can gather. Um, yeah, it's not mm-hmm. not a good mm-hmm. situation to be in. Perhaps we should mention a little bit about the the genetic basis then, um, and where the gene for for color deficiencies is held. Do you want to have a Do you want to have a go at that, Steve? <laughs> well, I, well, I was I was only going you know to be very general anyway, and I was going to say, you know, that, that the gene for colour blindness is, is recessive, and is carried on the the X chromosome. So, obviously, if you're female, you get two copies of that X chromosome. If you get one good copy, that wins, and you're a n- normal trichromat. Um, unfortunately, for us guys. If we get we only get one copy of X, we get one copy of Y. So if we inherit the um, the colour deficient version of that that X chromosome, then we see that that's what happens in our in our colour vision. So,
1: which actually explains why it's mainly men, because they have an X and a Y chromosome. Um, if their X chromosome is 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 carrying the gene for color deficiency, they'll have this problem. But if you have a female, because they've got two X chromosomes, um, if one of those carries the gene and one doesn't, they'll still be okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they've got uh, literally almost twice the chance. But it, it works out, um, you know, in terms of percentages, about eight percent of men, point five percent of females. So for
2: the majority of the population. Um we've been talking about trichromats haven't we so the majority most people with normal color vision would be a, would be a trichromat but in recent times mm. we've started to talk about the possibility of some people having four of these these different receptor types and mm. although these were found and they were predominantly women uh, when they were found the majority of them have been sh- uh, shown not to really have any advantage from it, so one of the ideas is it, it's an expression of a, a colour deficient, a colour deficient um, uh, photoreceptor within a, a normal trichromatic eye. And in fact, I, I read only today
1: that most or many of those females who are tetrachromats. Have fathers who work. Ah, that's interesting. Mm. Which is also which is also linking to this thing that it's an expression mm. of color deficiency. That's, that's behind But it. I
2: do believe that there's one case where they seem to have demonstrated a, a slightly better color discrimination than than a, a normal. Oh, definitely, definitely,
1: definitely. Um, so, yeah, there's no doubt these people exist, and I think there is definitely evidence now that some of them, though not all have um, allegedly better colour discrimination but it might not be better so for example one of these cases um, reported um, going shopping and finding clothes colours not matching where they should so for example you might have a a two-piece suit and the jacket and the skirt don't match and she's thinking, what's going on? And of course, they they match to a trichromat, right? So she can tell the difference between them. Is that an advantage? Similarly, the whole of our imaging systems we talked about before, cameras, displays—it's all based on trichromatic vision. So it isn't necessarily
2: an advantage to have tetrachromatic vision just to summarize those um, what we've been talking about because we seem to have covered quite a lot most people are are, are trichromats so they have three senses roughly sensitive to the long medium and short wavelength areas of the the visible spectrum then we have some people who are missing either a cone class or a photoreceptor
0: We've talked a lot about the physiology and, and why it happens, but but what's the impact on people's lives on a day to day basis? Does does it have is it is it serious? Does it does it have a huge impact?
1: It's um well um
0: because it it can it can affect things like you know it's on a very light note it's 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 people wearing mismatched clothes, isn't it? But on another level, we've talked about traffic lights before in a previous one. And I know you 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 were not not convinced of the having to get very specific colours in the traffic lights because you've got top, middle, and bottom. Also, but in the dark, in the fog, you are reliant on being able to tell the difference when you know you can't really see the traffic light structure. So there are there are things that it yeah. does have so an I, impact. I guess
1: on a sort of on a slightly comical basis, you could talk about people wearing. Miss yeah. socks and things yeah. like that. But as you say, that there are some must I think, for me, um, I would imagine it's a less rich visual experience, which we shouldn't forget. I think that's something which I think would be a disadvantage. Um, but then there are some jobs as well that you aren't allowed to do. Um, I think train driver, okay. probably... Airline pilot; these are jobs where telling the difference between a red and a green and a yellow light could be very, very serious. Um, but not driving a car, as we mentioned before, because people can generally tell whether it's a green light or a red light by the position of the light, which is um, which is shining. Um, I guess there's I, an I, issue
0: sorry. with uh, with so issue with with food as well, to an extent, being able to tell. You know like it, a raw fresh meat is it does it look bright red, or is it you know gone that sort of slightly dully brown color, and like, actually be able to tell subtle difference between things. Is a banana completely yellow or has it got some green, has it got some life left in it when you're shopping and things like that
1: that's very really interesting, Helen, because um of course, if you go the other way and say, what's the advantage of normal trichromacy, it's all those things you're talking about better color mm. discrimination of things. But I, I'd never thought about um, colour deficient people having trouble, for example, determining whether meat is as it should be. Um, but you're quite right. I think it's quite possible that that could be um,
2: happening.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: As you say, Steve, I, I mean, I like the anecdotal evidence befo- of, um, of the, the stories about the pilots in the war. They they wanted their spotters or gunners. If they were dichromats, they they quite liked that because they could see lightness differences in the camouflage that that was used to to hide a lot of the weaponry.
1: So again, the, the camouflage being designed for trichromats.
2: So yeah. things, yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, that was an advantage in that sense, wasn't uh, it?
2: Absolutely. So I just wonder whether they're. There's a sensitivity to to lightness that they're they're going to tap into there, but perhaps not.
0: And um, just when, when when I was uh, my re- working recently, we're doing a lot of presentations, graphical presentations, PowerPoints, and things. We actually moved away from the, the traditionally using your green for something's getting better and red for something getting worse. We actually moved away from that to to use more like a bluey green, a teal bluey green, and a and a more of a purple. For, for our colour schemes to help with people who, when you just get you just get a colour that's like red or, or green, and people can't necessarily tell it apart. So we did we we said actually shifted some of the colours that we're using to make that's it interesting. bit so less obvious, a bit more about, obvious.
1: People complaining about things like Call of Duty, um, which is a sort of a, a game huge of of <laughs> my son game, sunbathing game, and. And basically, when you've got a friend, <laughs> they have a little green tag above their head. An enemy, we oh, okay. have a red tag. But some of those games now have got colourblind modes, where you can change. If you're colourblind, you have a setting which will enable you to 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 make those discriminations. But that the idea of making the the red more purpley and the and the green more blue mm. Helen, is a, is a really good one. But do you remember at school having a Having a test for colour blindness because I do. I was probably about eight years old.
0: We've I'm not hand sure. Hand. I can remember having a colour spatial where, how far, like, how far round you can see. That's like, I don't know if that's, but I can't remember colour vision. Colour vision. do you remember
1: that one where you have to sort of say, do you, what do you see here? You get a load of dots. Oh,
0: Ishihara. Do Is that the Ishihara? Ishihara. Ishihara With all the coloured yeah. dots, yeah. With the numbers.
1: It's, 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 it's not. A very precise test, but it's used as sort of a screening test so in the old days, nurses used to take them into schools and um and, and show you these pictures and you had to say whether you saw eight or x or whether you could trace the line with your finger yeah. and then then you never heard any more but presumably if you failed the test you you did hear more, and you were perhaps invited to go to the optician to have a more. Um, precise test to diagnose your your type of color deficiency.
0: So, what about ways to make to make life better for people with color deficiency? Is there, are there things out there that can help?
1: Well, you he want to talk about um, corrective glasses, don't you?
2: I think that that's really interesting. It's something we've seen in the last few years, isn't it? Um. Yeah and and again it's one of those areas which seems to have been a uh, a complete accident so i, I believe it was a, an optical engineer in the states who was producing glasses for surgeons to protect their their eyes from particular wavelengths of lasers that they were using during during surgery and they developed these lenses and by chance i think they were out outside playing some some game and he'd given his sunglasses to a friend of his who'd put them on and said wow this this is fantastic what what what's happening here i can see differences that i couldn't see before and it turns out that his friend was was color deficient huh. so again a completely a random event, really. Uh, the the this optical engineer wasn't looking at that in, in any way, but it seems to have been a benefit. So now they sell these they in, in chroma gra- glasses. Yeah, there's a few different types.
1: I, I I I have a little bit of um. One, I have two sort of slightly negative things to say. Not necessarily about that company, but about these glasses in general. One is. I guess, sort of irritated by, by the YouTube videos that get shown round, where it, it says, "Person sees colour for the first time," because again, it's it's repeating that stereotype that people who are colour deficient can't see colour, and then they put these glasses on and suddenly the world's colourful. This is not how it is, but certainly they might see some colours they've not seen before. So it would be, it could be dramatic if they wore these glasses. And then the other thing is, there's always a danger with some of some of these products, that what they do, they they change your color vision. For example, if you just put a pair of glasses on with yellow filters, it, the world looks different, and that might enable you to pass the color vision test, which is designed for people with very specific vision. But it's a bit like squeezing a balloon. You squeeze it in one part, and it comes out another part. So it may enable you to pass the colour vision test, but you may then be poorer in other areas. And as it turns out, I've been doing quite a lot of research over the last, literally, over the last twenty years, on the use of lenses to um, improve colour vision. And, And I'm I'm currently unconvinced. I've never seen one. That really makes people color vision better, so I've seen ones that make people pass things like the Ishihara test. But when you test them more extensively, it's it's not a straightforward story. Um, but I'm open-minded to
2: it. Um, it is, and in fact, we yeah, it yeah. is interesting because I think I've I've seen a limited study. It was only ten people. But they tried some of these glasses. I'm not sure if it was the company that we've mentioned or or somebody else. But mm. they, they tried some of these glasses on 10 people. And out of those 10, only two showed any significant change in their colour discrimination. Mm.
1: So th- there's a... But they are talking, aren't they, about gene treatment now? Absolutely. Now, that's... Really, more interesting. So, and I think they've done some work on on mice. I'm not yes, sure. Yes, that's right. Um, so, I, I think there is. That's a much more promising line in the future for um,
2: for a cure, if you like, to to color deficiency. I think that was really interesting. If it's if it's the same research that I've seen, I, I'm I'm not sure I fully understand it. But they they were saying that. By changing the cells in one eye, it was directly affecting the cells in the other eye as well. So that's, that's really fascinating.
1: It's funny, I saw that very ah. research this week. <laughs> I, I came it must have, been, must have been looking at the
2: same yeah. thing. I, I, was, I haven't read it in detail, but I, I saw that. It's really interesting. Absolutely it? fascinating, yeah. I, I know they've been using um, stem cells to help with more significant issues that cause blindness and it would be interesting to see if that they could use a similar ap- approach to to color deficiency as well
1: so i heard recently that there's an online test to see whether you might be a tetrachromat um you should give it a go helen you i'll have be. a look later yeah um, <laughs> me and he <who> won't be <laughs> no chance I, I, I think it's pretty much females um I've seen different figures for the amounts. Maybe I saw thirteen percent recently, maybe twenty percent of females might be tetrachromatic. But definitely only a, a fraction of those have have different colour vision. Yeah. You know, in, in in practice, as it were. Um but have you have you ever felt, Helen, that your vision is is different? <laughs> different to anybody else or different to mine?
0: Um I don't think so. I mean, we, I, we've, I've, I've talked about colour a lot to people at, at work, and I, I don't think, I don't think, I've ever sort of seemed to be at odds to other people.
1: But so you've never had this thing where people are saying these two colours are the same, and you're saying no, they're not; they're different.
0: No, we, I've had a lot of conversations about what colour, what, what name, what name you give to something. I, we have had discussions about actually blues and purples about whether something is blue or purple. We had a lot of arguments at work about that, but um, mm. I just said I, I clearly know best because I did <laughs> a degree <laughs> in colour chemistry.
2: <laughs> clearly
0: <lovely.
2: laughs> It's probably, yeah, I think that's probably a good place to stop, isn't it? And, and I did promise to say uh, about Oh, uh, yeah, Dalton. Dalton. Indeed. Oh, yeah. So what was he then? A deuteranope, apparently. So... The, the, I, I must have read the same study as you. Nineteen ninety-five, they did DNA tests on the remaining eye, and from those DNA yeah. tests, they've, they, I think it was
1: uh, John. Monen. He was he
2: was part of it, wasn't he?
1: He was part, part of that study, Yeah, he's a yeah. very famous vision scientist. Absolutely. Um, so, so he was a dichromat.
2: Yeah, dichromat. He'd be missing the missing yeah, the M, the, cones. The M.
0: Okay, so I think we're we're about out of time now, aren't we? We've pretty much covered everything there, so uh, it's been really interesting. I've really enjoyed that. Um, I'll look forward to the next one.
1: Yes, I think I think we might do something quite different in the next one. Um, I, I think I've had the idea of talking about um, marketing and maybe even ethics, yeah. and um, we're thinking to invite a different person on to join us who knows something about these things, what we're talking about, which would be a novelty, to have people who know what they're talking about on this podcast, an actual expert, um, rather than us three. Um, so we'll have to try and schedule that next week. It'll be even more difficult to schedule. Let's hope we can do that. But until then, thanks for listening, guys, and see you maybe next week.
2: Thanks for listening. Bye.
0: Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.